Good to have you with us tonight, Nolwande. How was your day today? Oh, it's good. It's another day uh, working from home. <laughs> Thanks for yours. Mine was brilliant. Literally, I can't just say an, another day. It was a really good one. <laughs> but look, it was a good day for Clicks as well. The the Clicks group really showing themselves as a bit of an outliner at this particular time when others are reporting uh, reductions and, and losses. Uh, but the revenues for Clicks have grown. Talk us through this. Yeah, so I think, you know, you know, we've been on this road with clicks and them growing earnings steadily for, for such a long time and you expect it to slow down at some point, but they consistently have the ability to outperform the market. So, I mean, you know, during the lockdown of, and during most of the phases, they were able to still trade. And even with that, they were able to, you know, get get to grow revenue. So they obviously had low footfall during the time, um, but what they did see is that like some, you know, similar to, to other retailers, that the average size of the spending within the basket items was larger. Um, and as a result, um, you know, they've been growing and they are winning market share at this point. So they had a trading update with strong around 10% earnings growth. Um, and even though they had, you know, the low, lower earnings growth from people, you know, not having flu, surprisingly, that's one of the things that they mentioned is that people have not been getting flu because they're staying at home and wearing masks. Um, so they did lose a little bit on revenue that, but it was offset, obviously, by the strong um, gains in other parts of the business and other categories of the retail stuff that they provide. The Clicks Group, they are expecting double-digit increases in their half-year earnings. What are some of the factors that have attributed to, I guess, not only their survival during this time, but their success? So they've had a strategy that, you know, that really happened a few years ago when there was, you know, some regulation around the pharmacy industry, what we saw, you know, the smaller players, um, you know, needing to partner up with big people. And also what they've been doing is that obviously they, we you know, before, you know, many, many years ago, you know, clicks was just clicks and it didn't have pharmacies. But, you know, they actually, you know, with the new changes in regulation legislator, um, they started putting in um, pharmacies throughout the, the, um, the retail stores. So part of the growth is, you know, and incorporating more pharmacies into their retail stores um, and growing that. And, you know, the demand for, you know, drugs and retail and pharmacy is still there. So not only are they able to, you know, grow their footprint in terms of capacity, but also their, um, you know, their club card is one of the best in the country. And through that, you know, they've been getting, you know, they've got customer loyalty. The majority of their sales goes through the, the loyalty and comes from club card members. And it's one of the biggest stories to success is that club card um, story that they've had there and the membership. If one of their main, uh, you know, success areas have been the pharmaceuticals, when we look at Discam, for example, uh, who would perhaps compete with them directly on that level, how has their performance been? Um, you know, the problem is that, you know, Clix has been in the game much longer and, you know, they're more established. So, you know, this came only listed a few years ago. Um, they came to the market, and they were really still a family-only business. And because of that, in terms of they needed some, they, you know, they came in and they still needed, you know, some guidance from, you know, private equity to help them really grow and take the business to the next level. Um, you know, and since they've listed, obviously they've had to make changes from, you know, when they were being family-owned and family-run, um, the business model obviously needed to be improved and wasn't optimal. Um, so they had to improve that. Another important thing is that, you know, Clicks has a good distribution of UPT. So distribution allows them to, you know, supply all the drugs for, for them as well as other pharmacies and in, in the country. And this came didn't have that distribution network there, a very strong one. So they still have to kind of build that distribution out and be able to grow the supply. 
And so, you know, Disclaim is still early in the game in terms of, you know, grading the scale. Um, so they are still competing for market share. But because, you know, Clix is miles ahead, you know, they're still trying to play catch up. And, you know, because of the traffic enough environment, I think it's become much harder than they thought it would be when they listed in the market a few years ago. And, and what role has online trading played in the success of Clix? Um, so, you know, you know, just in general in South Africa, we're not a very big online retail market. Um, but, you know, within this trading update, they did say that they saw double-digit growth in online. Um, so, But, you know, it will still be a very small contributor to earnings. But I think, you know, I think it's good to have, you know, growth in online retail. And, you know, obviously they took advantage of, you know, the current lock- lockdown restrictions and people preferring to, you know, do some of their shopping online. And as a result, they did see some strong growth. Um, in the online sales as well. Now, if, if you look at um, the early stages of the lockdown, only those who were selling essential services were allowed to trade, specifically in level five. But then we also had the shorter trading hours. But if you look at clicks, their turnover for the 23 weeks to the 9th of August increased by 10.2%. How do you explain that? And what would have attributed to those increases? So they were an essential goods supplier. Um, they did have restrictions around, you know, certain goods um, on the shop. Um, but, you know, many people go there and do their bulk purchases for their... It's not just the actual medicine that you go there for. You still do your toiletry shopping. So they may have lost out in sales such as maybe, you know, makeup, um, which is obviously a big part also of their, of their of, in terms of their store. But, you know, they did get, you know, sales from other products they sell, and especially, you know, baby products. Their baby sales of baby products were obviously allowed much earlier on in the restriction, um, in, the COVID, in the lockdown restrictions. So, you know, within their front shop, they've got a lot of offerings there that were still allowed under under the, the level five conditions, and they were seen as, you know, unnecessary items, essential items. So, you know, like the food retailers as well, food and drug and uh, food and drug retailers and, you know, grocery retailers, they benefited because they were able to continue trading. Um, granted, there were some restrictions on other items which were not seen as essential, but, you know, it still drove people to clicks and that ended up doing, you know, most of the shopping there in terms of the essential services. Now, let's move for a moment and look at the retail sales, the entire retail sales sector down by 7.5% year on year in June. Talk us through that. Yeah, so, um, you know, it is a, you know, a strong recovery from where it was. If you look at the the numbers for April, you know, those sales were looking were down 50% on a year-on-year basis. And then there was a recovery in May to around 11, and now we're at 7.5. So you can see as, you know, we've moved through the different, um, you know, level lockdown stages and opening up the economy, we're seeing, you know, an improvement in recovery um, on the resale stores front. Um, we're still negative, and you know, it's, you know, and the biggest driver of that is, would be, you know, the more non-discretionary items in the basket. Um, so, also, it also will be still linked to consumer confidence, where people are just not comfortable going out and, you know, going spending crazy now. So, we expect that, you know, it will remain muted as far as demand over the next few months, and I think there will be only be a meaningful, you know, growth and recovery, you know, probably next year. And what impact did the revised 11.9% contraction in May have on retail sales? Um, you mean the 11.9% contraction of, of the, the total the, 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 of the month? Yes. The, um, well, I mean, obviously that will impact, you know, it'll, 
little impact, you know, the, the economy in general, because you know, being a being a retail to contribute to, to contribute to a G, uh, GDP. So the in terms of the impact we have on GDP, it will show up in the, the, the contraction numbers where we've seen, and um, you know, the retail sales numbers are sort of a, a leading indicator to show what we expect for you know the second quarter GDP print that's going to come up. Um, have we had yet? I don't think we've had the Q2 GDP numbers yet. But I think when it comes out, you will see that, you know, this week that we're seeing, you know, as it is now in June, now we've got all the data that's required um, for where GDP is going to come up. And we can see now that there has been an improvement in the economy, but the weakness of, for example, the 11.9 in May and the 7.5 um, goes to show that, you know, the demand is still there, the consumer is still, you know, still weak and under pressure, not willing to spend. And as a result, you will find that the economy is still also going to be struggling to um, improve as well. Mm. No, no, let's catch up with South African Airways uh, for the moment. They've hired uh, RMB to advise on possible airline stake sale uh, acquisition, uh, Rand Merchant Bank being the investment banking arm of a first Rand. Uh, what role will RMB play in uh, the advisory capacity? So um, it seems, you know, the government has realized that they need to, you know, sell up a stake of 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 the airline to meet the terms and conditions that they agreed to. So, you know, they suddenly need to kind of scramble for cash um, that they don't have because they signed, you know, some agreements regarding business rescue where they would need to raise funds. So at this point in time now, um, they need to, they've appointed Rand Merchant Bank to be the facilitator to kind of, you know, get buyers and interest and unsolicited interest from private equity backers or any other you know, institutions that are willing to have a stake in SAA. Um, and they're looking to raise more than $10 billion. Um, so that is, you know, quite a task they have ahead of them. And, and what will this $10 billion be used for? I mean, you know, in terms of the business rescue, I mean, you know, there's conditions that they need to agree upon, you know, especially with regards to creditors. I mean, we know that there was a creditor meeting there, which, you know, they had agreed to, but part of that required the government to provide more funding. Um, as much as, you know, government did agree to certain terms and conditions, I mean, the funds are actually not available. They don't have those funds. So I think, you know, the, the main reason is to, you know, provide those funds as per the requirements as far as the business rescue um, agreements is, and that's what the funds are required for. Now, if we look at um, Treasury's stance on, on this, uh, what position have they resolved to take as far as the raising of funds for SAA? Um, so, you know, currently now what they're doing is just trying to find a, find a suitable partner to buy a stake in it. Um, and this is going to be quite, you know, quite difficult. I think that they don't have many, many choices. I don't think so. When you're in a position of government where you need to raise funding, you know, you know, especially for an entity which is loss making, um, your best bet is to obviously find an outside partner to come through, go through private. Um, we don't have the balance sheet, the fiscal capacity to pump more money, which is why now the only resort is to find a partner. And because of the fact that, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty about the future of SAA, um, it's not only that, but it's also loss-making. And there's no prospect of that this new new SSA, SAA 2.2 is going to be successful. Um, you're basically having someone who's asking someone to just basically, you know, make an investment that they have no idea whether it will even become profitable. So that's the kind of situation that the government is facing right now. Are there any timelines that have been put in place in order to secure this ten point uh, this ten billion rand? 
Um, no, there's no timeline in place. I think, you know, they're hoping that maybe, um, you know, you know, by December there would obviously be something because of the timeline regarding when they want to get a deal through. But, you know, because this kind of transaction, it will take time to find buyers. Um, you know, it's, it's it's very hard to be able to say specifically when they can feasibly get. But I think they hope that by December they, you know, can meet some of the requirements and um, for for business rescue. Mm. Let's focus then on minerals for a moment. Looking at diamonds, the demand for diamonds, that has plummeted. Is that a surprise? Um, no. Um, you know, this trend has been ongoing since last year, actually, where, you know, the, the diamond prices has come down. That it was obviously exacerbated by the lockdown. And for anybody who's interested in going shopping, um, NWG has, um, you know, NWG, NWJ Judas has a 50% off of all their diamonds currently. It just tells you how bad the diamond market is doing. Um, but, you know, the fact that, you know, the diamond market is doing so terribly is, is not news. Um, you know, De Beers, which is the second largest diamond producer in the world, I mean, you know, because it's all about Anglo, Anglo-American, they had sales down 96% in the second quarter of this year. So you can see just it's how you know very difficult it is in the diamond industry, where the only you know you know green shoots are in the very very upper affluent market. Um, you know previously the demand also was kind of impacted a lot by Chinese demand, being that they are quite quite um, a big player in the luxury market and the demand for them for for luxury you know is driven quite quite a lot by Chinese. Um, but now we see you know on the very top end the demand for. You know, the more specialized kind of, you know, more higher quality diamonds is there as people who are more affluent are buying these. And that's the only part of the diamond market which is showing, you know, some demand there. And the prices seem to be increasing as opposed to be declining. Um, but obviously, those are people who are probably not affected at all by the, you know, the virus to, you know, still have capacity to buy expensive diamonds in this economic climate. Uh, Chris Delgato, who's the CEO of Delgato Diamond Finance Fund, was quoted as saying that, as you're saying, that people are acquiring these high-quality diamonds from affluent investors and they're using the luxury stones as a hedge. Uh, Talk us through the dynamics of how that would work. So basically, it's the same sort of, you know, thinking behind buying gold right now and we're seeing a big rally in gold. I think it's a way of, you know, kind of storing wealth because if you're buying something and the price of it is going up, it means you're basically going to, you know, make a profit out of it. And because if you look globally, the rates are so low, um, you know, putting your money in, in, in you know, in, in bonds, especially in the developed market, where I would imagine quite a large sum of demand for these high-end diamonds would be, is, you know, which is not really, you know, good strategic profit-making in a way. Um, especially as regards to storing of wealth and it's further pressure on global rates. So much like what we're seeing as far as, you know, the demand for gold, um, people are just using that and they kind of investing and, you know, seeing that there'll be, you know, more demand, especially because, you know, these high quality diamonds, there's very few of them out there. Um, you know, they're very rare. So obviously, as you know, if something is, you know, um, the supply is low, but, you know, the price will be high for it. And I think, you know, there's more prospect of those prices going up further. And that is why, you know, on the high end, they're using a sort of a store of wealth. There have also been reports, Nolwantle, um, of exports of polished diamonds falling. What could have been the reason uh, for that? 
So it's not only due to the restrictions placed within the regions um, that, you know, they've been obviously locked down. And, you know, since, you know, lockdown, since the beginning of COVID um, issues, you know, there hasn't been as much cross-border travel to buy diamonds as they could have been. So the lockdown restrictions saw big, you know, big halt, resulting big halt in production. And as a result, you know, we have that, you know, the, the huge decrease. That's one of the biggest reasons. And obviously, you know, obviously, you know, even just the demand factor, there's quite big play in that, and that obviously, you know, initially with the shock of the virus, you know, the sentiment was negative. But I think, you know, the big restrictions are now mostly um, have, you know, with, with restrictions around traveling being slightly removed, and that should maybe ease it out into the third and fourth quarter. And when we look at diamonds and their performance declining, how does it compare to, to other precious uh, minerals? So, I mean, if you, I mean, if you look at the, our ready sector, I mean, you know, that the resources are, you know, doing very well. So if you look at, you know, the platinum group metals, platinum has been holding steady. I mean, it had a huge rally, um, you know, you know, reached high highs, but then it pulled back a bit because of, you know, car demand coming down. So, you know, as soon as, you know, the car, car story didn't play out because of COVID, you know, the platinum and palladium pulled back, um, you know, because that, you know, the big theme there was that the conversion into, you know, catalyst of car makers let push the demand there. Um, and same thing with rhodium as well, we'd had a huge rally. Um, but now, you know, gold is the flavor of the month, having reached brand new highs over the last couple of days. And it's continued to push further because of, you know, the macroeconomic environment and the low yield environment we'll be in. So, you know, and so there's different factors happening. We don't see exactly a synchronized movement in all the metals at all. Um, you know, different scenarios are playing out in different dynamics in each. Um, so there's definitely not like a herd, herd effect that's happening across them. It's really very specific to each one. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much uh, for that business wrap this uh, evening, Nolwande. You have yourself a splendid evening. Uh, as you said, you've been home all day. Well, I hope it continues to be pleasant for you. Thank you. You too. Thank you, dear. That's Nolwande Mtombeni, market analyst and commentator, taking us through our business wrap for today.